24. Luke chapter 22, verse 24. Now remember that we are going through the chronological life of Jesus and we are in the last 18 hours of his life. This is at the Last Supper. So we're, we're, we're in the Last Supper period. They have just taken of the cup. They've just taken the, the first Lord's Supper, the, the bread. Right after that bread, uh, 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 Judas, Judas goes out into the night, it says. And, and, uh, uh, and they, 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 there's this cup. Now, Jesus, I don't know if he stepped away from the table momentarily or what's going on, but in verse 24, remember, this is at the Last Supper event, verse 24, and there arose also a dispute among them as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. So think about this. This is the Last Supper. This is the Last Supper meal, and there is a dispute among the apostles as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. So in other words, it's not which one of them is the greatest, but which one of them is perceived by the people to be the greatest. This is at the Last Supper. Now, sure, these guys are well known by this point. Crowds have always been coming to Jesus and you know they're, they're in charge of crowd control. They're in charge of uh, making people sit in groups of 50. So people have, have, have associated their faces with Jesus and here they are having a dispute. This is a heated discussion around the Last Supper table about which one of them is perceived to be the greatest. Maybe Peter's saying, well, you know, obviously, guys, it's me. You know, there's Peter, James, and John, and Peter is the one who's always... We don't know exactly the discussion that was going on, and we can't blame this one on Judas, because he's already gone out into the night. So there's this discussion going on at this table, and, and, uh, um, and then Jesus finally interjects in verse 25, and he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them are called benefactors, but it is not this way with you. But the one who is the greatest among you must become the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. So they're having this, this heated discussion. It says a dispute among them as to which one of them is the greatest. You know, we never surprise the Lord with the silly things that we do. I mean, he's seen it. He's seen it before. This is, he's trying to get their attention. He's teaching them really important concepts at the Last Supper. And they're now arguing as to which one of them is perceived to be the greatest. And you wonder, how long did he let this thing go on? You know, it has to foment for a while before a dispute arises. And then he, he interjects and he says, you know, let me tell you what it's like among the Gentiles. So he says, you're, you're under the Roman kingdom. Here's what it's like. He says, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who have authority over them are called benefactors. I mean, uh, and, and in the NIV, and it says, and they call themselves benefactors. Benefactors are people who say, give a lot of money to MD Anderson Cancer Center. They're benefactors, people who give a lot of money 
and people look at them and say, that was wonderful and that was kind of you. And that is a great thing to do. But it says, the people who have authority over them are called benefactors. Well, they're hardly taking of their own money and giving it to the state. But you have to kiss up to them and call them benefactors. Jesus is saying that's what it's like. People in authority, you like to refer to them as benefactors. Oh, look at all the wonderful things that they have done. He says, it's not this way among you. But the one who is greatest among you must be the youngest and the leader like the servant. Remember, Jesus keeps turning this around. He keeps changing it. He says, among believers it is different. This is what it's like among the Gentiles. Among believers this is different. This is why I keep saying, as believers, we are expected to be different. We are expected to forgive people even if they haven't asked forgiveness of us. We forgive like Jesus has forgiven us. We reach out to them. We are to initiate forgiveness. We are to initiate the friendship. Something that I was always instructed to do when I was young is that, is that the first church that I was in, my pastor would always tell us, sit with someone whom you do not know. Sit with someone whom you do not know so that you could begin to get to know them. And I would force myself to sit with someone whom I did not know. And in doing that, it really helped me to open up and to reach out to people. We are the initiators. Jesus instructs us to be different than the Gentiles, different than the people of the world, is what he was saying. You, as, as my called ones, are to be different. And this is why I can put expectations upon you that is, are different than what the world would put upon you. You say, well, I, I just want to sit with my friends and be comfortable. Well, as believers, we throw ourselves into uncomfortable positions to get to know people and great things will open up for you. He says, whoever wants to be greatest among you must become like the youngest and the leader like the servant. For who is greater, the one who reclines at the table or the one who serves at the table? They don't answer him. Well, what happens when you've been caught you know, saying things you really ought not to have said, and uh-oh, Jesus heard us. So he asks you a question, you don't answer. For all you know, you might answer wrongly, so you just keep quiet. So he goes ahead and he answers it. He says, is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. He says, change your mindset. As believers, we're to have a different mindset. Then he says, you are those who have stood with me in my trials. And just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant you that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging twelve tribes of Israel. What he's describing to them is this thousand year reign period. During these thousand years, there will be a Jewish kingdom and it is going to be overseen. Twelve, twelve uh, uh, apostles sitting over the twelve tribes. Matthias is to be chosen after the resurrection to make up for Judas who was lost. Twelve of them sitting over each of the, the tribes. There are not one disciple from each of the tribes, can't be, because there are three sets of brothers among them. But there's going to be one of them sitting over each of the three tribes, each of the twelve tribes, and David is going to be king over them, and Jesus king over David. There's going to be the Gentile kingdom that is going to be ruled by the church. And that is what's going to happen for a thousand years. And then after that, it, it, everything will then change after that. But this is what he's speaking about. This is the Christian life. 
The Christian life is walking this razor's edge of falling into the feeling that, oh, I'm no good and, 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 and uh, uh, how could God like me? Or going the other way and being caught up in pride. This is this razor's edge and we, we lean one way and then Jesus props us up and then we fall over the other way. And then he props us up and this is the Christian life and this is what you're going to see here. So at one moment they're arguing, who among them is the greatest? Then he says, you be a servant. So he reproves them for this. And then he says, you know, it is true. You're going to be over 12 tribes one day. Each one of you is going to be over a tribe reigning with me. He says, because you've been with me in my trials. You have stood with me. Now let's turn to John. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And again, this is still at the Lord's Supper. Verse 31. Therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified. We're reading from verse 31. John 13, 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself, and will glorify Him immediately. Everything is about Jesus. It is all about Jesus, and it is not about us. What makes us really uncomfortable in life is when we think it's all about us. And then we get all frustrated, but it is not about us. It is about Jesus and His glory. It is not about our glory. There is nothing, there is no good in us. Verse 33, little children, I am with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So he says, I'm going away, you can't come right now. He's speaking of his death. They will follow Him. But right now, they can't come. And then He says, I'm going to give you a new commandment. He says, you're to love one another. I thought they already had a commandment that they were supposed to love their neighbors as themselves. This is, it overlaps in that they're to love others. But it's different in this way because one could say, you are to love your neighbor as yourself. We say, I don't care too much about myself so I'll treat my, my neighbor the same way. But now He says, You are to love them even as I have loved you. You are to love your neighbor as I have loved you. Regardless of what you think of yourself, you are to love your neighbor as I have loved you. A self-sacrificing love. This is the only way a healthy marriage works. That I am here for you. I am here for you. This is what it is in marriage. You are there for the other person. It is giving of oneself for another. A total self-donation for the other. And there are sexual disorders that move right on into marriage, that you carry right on with you into marriage. And until you understand that it's not about you anymore, it is about the other individual. It's only then that there are healthy marriages. It's only then that you can turn that hell on earth of the bedroom into heaven on earth. That it is about you. It is not for me, but it is for you. It is a total self-donation for the other. You are to love your neighbor, not as you love yourself. You are to love them as Jesus has loved us. This is a higher standard. Again and again, He has raised for us the standard. He has raised for us now the standard of love. We are to love them and give ourselves for them. Regardless of what we think of ourselves, we are to give ourselves for them. This is what He calls us to do. 
And he says, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, will you lay down your life for me? Truly I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. So Peter just totally bypasses this new commandment. Saying, wow, how rich that is. And he's like backing up. What do you mean you're going someplace that I can't go with you? I want to go right now. I mean, this is what Peter is. I mean, he just, and, and he, he says, you know, I'll follow you right now. I'm willing to die for you. I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. The cock crowing spoke of three time intervals. It spoke of 12, 3, 6, and 9 a.m. We know that Jesus was speaking, so it, it, these are intervals of time that he's talking about. This was an expression that was used for them, intervals of time. And we know from, from the Gospel according to Mark that it was at the second cock crowing because Jesus said before the cock crows twice. Here he's abbreviating it, but we know it's the second cock crowing that Jesus is, that, that, that uh, um, uh, Peter is going to deny him three times. So this is what, what uh, um, he says that you are going to deny me three times. Here is Peter in his boldness rejecting what the Lord has said. The Lord has said, the Lord has said, uh, um, you can't follow me now. Peter says, look, I'm going to lay down my life for you. I will lay down my life for you. And here is this pride. I can do it, Lord. I will do it. So, boom, you fall over onto this side of pride. And then what happens? You get beat up and you go crawling back to the Lord. And this is what Christian life is. Let's look in, in Mark. Mark chapter, Mark chapter 14, verse 27. We'll pick up the same... This is again, this is still at the Lord's Supper. Mark chapter 14, verse 27. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So he tells them, you're all going to fall away. All of you. And remember, they all desert him. All of them desert him. So he says, says all, all of you guys here, there's 11 of them still there. All of you are going to desert me. He says, it's been written. And he says, but after I had, I've been raised, again, he is revealing to them that he's going to be raised. Meet me. He says, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Three times. Three times. He says, meet me in Galilee. This is the first of three times. After three times telling them, meet me in Galilee after I raised from the dead, guess what? They never meet him in Galilee. <laughs> they still never went because of their unbelief. You know, maybe Jesus has been sitting there in Galilee looking at his watch. Where are these guys? You're risen from the dead. I told him three times to meet me in Galilee. And the angels even meet him in Galilee. They were just, they never went. So, so uh, in, in verse, verse 29, But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. Look, Jesus tells him, It is prophesied you will fall away. You will fall away. Peter says, Uh-uh. Not me. They may do it. They may fall away. These other guys. Not me. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you yourself will deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. 
And they were all saying the same thing also. So it wasn't just Peter saying it. Peter was just, just the, the guy out in front saying it. But they were all saying the same thing. You know, they learned from Peter. So turn to uh, uh, Luke chapter 22 again. We're going to read from verse 31. So here is Peter speaking out very boldly. Going against what Jesus has already instructed saying, you will fall away. And Peter says, no, you're wrong. Not me. So, Jesus, look in verse 31 of Luke chapter 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So, Jesus looks at Simon Peter and says, Simon, Simon, twice he repeats his name. What does this mean? It's, it's, as, if, it's as if he's putting his hands on, on Simon Peter's face and saying, Simon, Simon. Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. We see the same sort of thing in the book of Job where Satan appeals to God for permission to go after Job. Satan has, has demanded permission not to just go after him, but to sift him like wheat. Why would Satan do this? Well, because Peter said, the Lord's wrong. I can do it. This is what pride does. Pride opens us up to the attack of the enemy. Pride opens us up to the attack of the enemy. He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. In other words, it's not, I have prayed for you that this will not happen. He never said that. He said, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. Jesus already knows that Peter needs to be beaten up. We make decisions in life where God is clearly instructed, don't do this. We make decisions and we pay for it. I mean, it affects us, it affects our families, it affects people around us, it hurts us. All of this happens. This happens in life because of decisions that we make and it opens us up to the enemy. And Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. The Word of God says that Jesus lives, He lives to make intercession on our behalf. What does that mean? It means that Jesus lives to pray for us. Why does Jesus live? The Scriptures tell us He lives to make intercession on our behalf. Jesus prays for us. And His prayer is not to keep us from troubles. His prayer is that we would stand and that our faith may not fail. Then He says, and when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So again, He's prophesying. Satan will go after you and we're going to see it. He is going to deny the Lord three times. He's not just going to desert Jesus He's going to audibly deny knowing Him three times before that second cock crowing. And it says that you will... I pray for you that your faith will not fail, but your faith will not fail. So failure, being beaten up by the enemy, failure in life doesn't mean that our faith has to fail. We may have a failure, but our faith doesn't have to fail. I prayed for you that your faith does not fail. Very often, it's failure in life that draws us to Jesus. I mean, how many of us have come to the Lord because we were at our wit's end in our lives and it's brought us back to the Lord? If you don't know the Lord, 
Let me tell you something. You will come to your wit's end. It's better to come now. Better to come now. Come to Jesus before you really mess up your life. And he says that your faith may not fail and that you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. You will turn and I'm going to call you to strengthen your brothers. And that's what he does at the end of, at the end of John's Gospel when he says, feed my sheep. You're to go and you're to build up your brothers. What happens in failure? What happens in failure is we recover in the Lord and then we can help others. We can help others because Jesus says He is a faithful high priest. What He does is we go through things so that we can minister to others. Paul talks about this. He says, I am going through this, but it allows me to minister to others through, through what I've gone through. But still, Peter's denying it. He's, but he says in verse 33, but he said to him, Lord... With you, I'm ready to go both to prison and to death. And he said, to, and I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied me, until you've denied three times that you know me. You know, it says in, 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 in Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, it says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Pride goes before destruction. In the King James, pride goes before a fall. As soon as pride starts coming in, a fall is going to come. A fall is going to come. You say, oh Lord, Lord, just a fall is going to come. I mean, I have lots of instances of this in my own life. You know, God has blessed my career so much. I have so much more than I deserve. I can remember there was a period... I had lots of grant money and my, my, everything was going well and it wasn't going as well for my colleagues. And, and I started to get a little bit irritable. And I started to say, can you guys just work harder? didn't say that to them, but I, in my heart. I say lots of things in my heart that I don't verbalize. And, and, and I said, why can't you guys just work harder? You know, if you, if you wrote more proposals, maybe you'd be funded. And, and, uh, and I could find myself also getting... getting uh, uh, a bit short with the secretaries and, and just, you, you know, speaking in a harsh way. And then, wouldn't you know it, within six months, one grant after another stopped getting funded. So much so that I was really hurting for money because I had this big group I had to support and I didn't have enough money. And I was going to the department to see if they could help me fund my students and boy, did God get a hold of me. And I didn't speak to secretaries very harshly anymore because I needed all the help that I could get from them. This is what happens in life. You start thinking that you're something, get ready for a fall. Get ready for a fall. You start treating people in a harsh way because you think that somehow you're better than them or I think that I'm somehow better than them. I have to get ready for a fall. Simon, Simon, Satan has, has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. You will be sifted. You will be humbled. And this is Christian life. Then you get all beat up. You say, Lord, there is no good in me. As Paul said, O wretched man that I am. Who is going to save me from this body of sin and death? 
The very good that I would do, I don't do. But I do the very thing that I shouldn't be doing. This is what Paul said. Paul was a pretty special guy and he was saying this. And then the Lord comes and He starts to encourage us. He starts to build us up and He starts to reassure us from the Word of God. So for example, you read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless in Him. In love, He predestined us to adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. So what He does is He comes and He starts to nurture us. And He starts to set us right back up on this razor's edge. And then what happens is we start to glory in this a little bit. I'll give you another example from my own life. I can cry out to God on my knees before coming in to speak in this class and say, God, use me. God, speak through me. God, help me. There's nothing in me. God, help me. And God comes and He ministers and He works in my life. And I walk out, I think, I did pretty good today. Do you see how insidious pride is? Do you see how how wicked it is? Speaking to to one, one, uh, one young person and she wanted to do prison ministry. And, and so she had lined up with this group to, to talk with them about doing prison ministry. And two, two hours before the meeting, they canceled the meeting. She was like kind of huffy. Well, you know, I was supposed to meet with them and they canceled the meeting two hours before. It's a good thing I checked my email. And I thought, you're not ready for prison ministry. I did 10 years of prison ministry. Every Monday night for 10 years, I was in the maximum security prison. Prison ministry is you go there 30 minutes before you're supposed to, to, to have your Bible study. And you sit there and you wait. You might wait two hours and they might say, oh, you're not coming in tonight. Some things are going on. You're not coming in. And you know what you do? You smile, you say thank you, and you go home. And you come back the next week. That's prison ministry. Any prison you go into, you go through one door, it shuts behind you, and there's another locked door in front of you. And you go through several sections of this. Sometimes they forget you. Now, when I ministered in prison, they didn't have cameras between every little place. And they, one guy would lock the door behind you, and you'd be looking through the, hey, anybody there? And you're locked there. Because the guy got busy on the other side doing other things. That's prison ministry. Prison ministry is you wait. And then you're done. You've done your Bible study. You're on your way out. You get locked in this little area coming out of the unit where one guy, he has a key. He opens the door for you and he lets you into this little area, but he doesn't have the key to the outer door because if he had the key to the outer door, he'd be overpowered and they'd get out. He only has the key to the one door. And now you're waiting for him to call somebody to come and get you. So he's called somebody that... Somebody has forgotten or he's forgotten the call and you're just sitting there waiting. That's it. That's prison ministry. And so you know what I'm thinking when this young person says, I was held up for two hours. I, I mean, they, they canceled the appointment two hours in advance. There was an old professor and I'll close with this story. This old professor, they, they were, they were uh, uh, screening young people for the mission field. This was to go as full-time missionaries in this Bible college. And this old professor 
the way he used to test people. He took this one young man. This young man wanted to be interviewed for being approved to go onto the mission field. So the professor said, meet me at my home at 6 a.m. Sit out on the, front, on the front steps and I'll be out there. So it was a long distance from this young man's home, but he goes, eager, enthusiastic, he goes. He sits out on the front steps and he waits. And he waits and he waits. And this old professor doesn't come out till 8 a.m. It was a test. Have you ever been delayed in something and you, you, you're all huffy with them? You're seven minutes late. Well, it's two hours. Two hours. And he said hello to the young man and the young man was very excited to meet him and greeted him. And, and uh, he says, so you want to be a missionary? The young man says, yes, very much so. I want to be a missionary. He said, okay, um, uh, tell me, are you educated? He says, I have some education. He says, do you love the Lord? He says, I love the Lord. He says, okay, let's see what you know. Spell cat. And the young man says, pardon me, sir? He says, spell cat. The young man said, C-A-T. The professor said, good. Now spell dog. The young man was like, and the professor is, you did so well with cat. I'm sure you could do it. Come, come now. He says, D-O-G. He says, good, good. And uh, he says, you want to be a missionary? He says, very much, sir. I want to be a missionary. He says, good. We're done. You can go now. So the young man goes. The professor goes into the meeting. He says, that man is ready for the mission field. I tested his humility. I tested his pride. He is ready for the mission field. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, the truth of your word. Thank you so much, Lord. Father, I pray for these young people, that you cause them to walk with you, that when the devil sifts them as wheat, I pray, Father, that their faith would not fail, and that once they've turned, that they would strengthen their brothers. Lord, I pray for these young people that you would encourage them in you and that they would not lose heart. And Lord, I pray for those here that don't know you. Father, who are, have a total inability to overcome sin in their lives. Father, I pray that they would come to you, that their hearts would be open this day. And if you don't know the Lord, pray with me in this time. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus Forgive my sins. Come into my life. Forgive me because I am a sinner. And fill me with the Holy Spirit. I believe that you have risen from the dead. And you live forever. To the glory of God. Father, I pray for these young people. Work in their lives. For your glory. Amen.